0: boy he will hero around here is treated like a god. I mean, I'll never find out what he could really do. I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him—the real sad ones—they sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god, just for a few moments.
1: Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Alive show. Uh, I'm your host, Billy Powell. You're listening to this on Keeping the Nostalgia Alive. That's all wor- one word, keepingthenostalgiaalive.podbean.com. And you can also go into the archives while you're there and find interviews from Dan Issel, Rick Mount, Dick and Tom Van Arsdale, Gene Katie. Uh, there's about 150 shows in there, so f- feel free to download and listen to uh, uh, at your convenience, and, and please enjoy. Um, uh, today we have a fabulous guest with us. Uh, you know, I, I told you that I uh, interviewed Gene Cady, Dan Issel, and Van Arsdales, Kent Benson, and it, it, it's always a blast, I'm, and I'm always just a little bit nervous. Um, and all these people that I interview, I seem to have six degrees of separation of. And the gentleman that I'm going to chat with today, I'm stretching my six degrees of separation because... I am, my birthday's on the 25th of November, his birthday's on the 24th of November, and I actually played on the same basketball floor that he played on for a couple games while he played at the University of Michigan, and I'm talking about, it was Butler Fieldhouse at that time. The name had been changed to Hinkle Fieldhouse, and of course, that's where we played all of our high school basketball uh, tournament games at Broader High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. And, and of course, I'm talking about... Uh, Coach Rudy Tomjanovich, Um, uh, you know, everybody knows Coach Tomjanovich, Coach Rudy T, you know, Gold Millis, coach in 2000, five-time NBA, back-to-back championships for the Houston Rockets, That that fabulous saying that never underestimate the heart of a champion, and Coach Rudy T, I appreciate your time, I know you've got a busy schedule, but I appreciate your time and spending a little bit of time with us and keeping the nostalgia alive about this great game of basketball.
2: Billy, I'm so happy to be with you, and uh, some of those guys you mentioned there in that uh, introduction, I'm excited. Uh, I'm going to tune in and listen to those interviews, because those are some of the guys uh, that were playing ball right in my era.
1: You know what's funny is when when I do these interviews, so I, I did an interview with Bill Naharodny, who is also from Hamtramck. And it seems like the people from Hamtramck, I had to actually look that city up and find out how it's pronunciated, always have the most difficult names to uh, uh, pronounce.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is true. I didn't think about it because we had Beaches uh, Barkowicz, too, which was a young uh, tennis player back in the, uh, in the 60s uh, from Hamtramck.
1: So, so is Hamtramck? Is it kind of like uh, is it kind of like the city of Bel Air within Houston? Is that kind of like a uh, would that it be a good it's analysis?
2: It's exactly like that. It is one square mile, and uh, what was so good about it is I I felt I was blessed to grow up there because there was such a good uh, diversity of uh, People you know I uh, grew up with polish i I am Croatian uh, but I passed for a Polish guy because almost all my friends were Polish, but also the next street over was the predominantly black uh street, and um, my friends were were uh black kids and uh they were like brothers. And uh, I thought I was really blessed to grow up in an environment like that. And we were very fortunate. Our city in 1959 wound up winning the Little League World Championship. And my cousin was on that team. I was a 10-year-old when they were 12. And uh, he played with, they still dub him the greatest Little League player of all time, Art Pinky Daris. And I got to bat against uh, Pinky, and he was so fast that if you got a foul uh, a foul tip, uh, you know you'd give a teammate a high five. I got a piece <laughs> of it, you know, because you couldn't even see the ball; he was that fast.
1: Now, was Tom Pichorik? Did I did I get that name wrong? He was was he on that Little League World Series team?
2: He was not on that team, but in Pony League, he. He uh, matched up with those guys, and I was a big follower of that team, and they were just awesome. And Pichorek, uh joined my cousin and Pinky on the, uh, on the uh, all-star team for Pony League, and I believe Coat League also.
1: Was baseball your first love?
2: Well, let me say this. I played it, and I was pretty good at it, but... I really didn't have a passion for it uh basketball now this is kind of crazy basketball was my love but it caused me nothing but pain because in junior high I did not play a minute in a game I was on the team and uh just never got in the game. I I felt I was the best shooter on the team. I I had not had my uh, growth spurt yet, Uh, and I would shoot, you know, when the team practiced the zone, I would, you know, shoot, and I'd make a couple in a row and thinking maybe the coach is going to put me in, but I never got in the game. Uh, And then uh, I was very lucky to have an uncle, Uncle Joe, who is the father of the Little League champ, Mark, uh, he took me under his wing and explained to me sort of the facts of life for me is that I I wasn't gonna be able to go to college uh, and pay for it. My family did not have money, so I was a good student and he said if I was good at a sport that there was a good chance, I kept my grades up, there'd be a good chance that I'd make it to college on a scholarship. So he bought me the, the spikes and the glove, and I played baseball. But then, uh, I sort of ran into a bad coach at, and, and who was sarcastic and, you know, would sort of make jokes mm-hmm. about the players and, and make you feel bad. Uh, and I told him I was going to give up uh, baseball. And it was hard for me. to. I, I had to really drum up the courage to go and tell him that. And he wasn't happy. He says, you know, what about our plan? I said, well, I'm going to continue the plan. And I says, I'm going to play basketball. But he knew what my basketball career had looked like because I hadn't got in a game. And I said, and uh he says well all right you know and he he didn't think I was going to do it uh but i went straight from talking to him to the basketball courts and started practicing and lucky for me that these basketball courts uh in hamtramck somehow became the mecca for all the great players in the detroit metropolitan area and I started on the, the minor league baskets, and once in a while they needed the player, and they pick me up, and I get in the game, and it was like going to play in Boston Garden. When you got on the on the big court and played a couple games, and uh, it just became my life. I just spent every, you know, every mo- uh, moment I wasn't in school, I was over at the at the courts playing from. Uh, you know to well into the
1: darkness. And when did that growth spurt happen?
2: It happened uh, after. You know the funny thing is, I was going to start my career in the ninth grade, and uh, to play freshman ball, and a good friend of mine was was in the the coach's home room, and he told me, uh, Rudy, I saw the list. You're not making the team and uh the ironically he was a football player from the university of michigan was the coach and a linebacker we really didn't know much about basketball (laughs) you know it was a way to make some more money uh so before he could announce the cut i challenged him to a game of one-on-one and uh he thought every time the ball dribbled, it was like a fumble, and he would just dive <laughs> and he would knock me down. <laughs> and uh, somehow, I managed to beat him. And the last name he read on that on that list was my name, so I made that team. And uh, the sad part about it is maybe the worst uh, freshman team <laughs> in the history. <laughs> of our uh, high school, but somehow I just kept plugging away and uh, played uh, junior varsity and then varsity my junior and senior year
1: what was you know I'm from Indiana originally you know Hoosiers and at one point when before I as when I graduated you know all the high schools in the state competed all the way down to the last two and of course the winner was the state champion what was Michigan high school basketball like was there a was there a division one division two class a class 2a Uh, I mean how did how uh, and what was the popularity of high school basketball in Michigan?
2: Yeah, it, it was very popular, but it was just A, B, C, D. I don't think there were double A's or anything like that. I don't remember it. Uh a little bit of a controversy uh went on with our arch rival in our uh in our conference. We played in a suburban uh league, even though we were right in the middle of the city. You know the Detroit Public School League with uh, Pershing, where uh, Spencer Haywood, Mal Daniels, and Ralph Simpson all went there. That was the next school district over from Hamtramck. That was the public school league, but we were a uh, we were a suburban league with uh, you know really industrial type neighborhoods, uh, tough kids, but River Rouge, who uh, had a great coach. Uh, Lofton Green they somehow always wound up in uh, class B and they'd win the state championship for many many years Uh, but they could compete with most class A uh, uh, teams we were a class A uh, team and uh, we were rated second my junior year and uh, we got upset by a believe a Pontiac uh, a team from Pontiac and the same thing happened my senior uh, year uh, we lost to University of Detroit uh, high school uh, who had a pretty good team but we did not do well in the in the uh which was a disappointment
1: You know, while playing high school basketball or while growing up, were you a basketball fan of Michigan, Michigan State, or any professional teams that you followed as a youngster in basketball?
2: I just watched anything uh, that was basketball on TV. And, uh, you know, from the pro games, uh, which always seemed to have the Celtics, On I think there were only nine teams back then. And then uh uh college and yes, of course, fell in love with Cassie Russell and uh those Bill Button and uh Oliver Darden, uh Larry Torganing uh George Tommy, that was the starting five I think of Michigan when they played U uh, C L A uh with the great uh Gail Goodridge. And I got to meet Cassie and uh, I remember his hand was so big and <laughs> wide, even though I was taller than him. Uh, you know, just a imposing uh, person. And uh, he was the reason I wanted to go to Michigan.
1: Did you go to Tigers, Detroit Tiger baseball games?
2: I did, I did. And uh, my mom, uh, we'd catch the bus and. We'd sit in the uh in the bleachers, and God it was uh that was just a thrill uh, going to those games uh never never went to the football uh games or the hockey games, but basketball and uh for a dollar, I could go to uh the piston games uh my right in front of my house, the bus would take me straight downtown for a quarter. They had a, uh, the upper ring in Cobo arena was called Gus country because the beer vendor up there, Gus was like the hunchback of Notre
0: Dame.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he looked down and at a certain time in the game, he'd, he'd give out a cheer or something. And we were up in Gus country, never realized how big the players were. Like Will Chamberlain looked like an ant from up there. Uh, you know, so for a buck, I got to go to the game and have transportation to and from. I just couldn't get anything to eat or drink. Uh, but at that time, I didn't care. In fact, I was, uh, when I found out you could listen to a game on the radio, I felt I was like stealing. That you could hear the bounce of the ball and you could listen to every game. On radio, I mean, I just was in heaven.
1: Was your dad very uh, athletic and did you, uh, is it just you or did you have any brothers and sisters?
2: Uh, I had a sister, but no, no athletics in it. It was just a love that I had. Uh, when I was a little kid uh, and my father, we were walking, we would go to our main street And ham Hamtramck and get an ice cream cone and walk through the neighborhood. And we crossed a schoolyard and we heard this uh, commotion. You know, we just heard some noise and we were curious of, you know, what is that? And my father, uh, there was a window and my father said, "I'll, I'll pick you up. And he put me on his shoulders and I looked in the window and I looked down through the window and it was like, this was upstairs above the court. And I looked down and I could see the guys' faces as they were going after the ball and the excitement. I didn't know what the heck it was, but I said, one day I want to play that game. <laughs> and That's the first time I saw uh, basketball.
1: Did did you kind of did you in listening to Michigan games? So so was it a foregone conclusion that you know one of these days I I want to be a Wolverine?
2: Well, no, I went. Uh, I was very first of all, I was a naive young kid, didn't know about all, a lot of things. But my coach says you have two hundred, you know, you you have so many letters from all these different. Colleges, you're gonna have to, you know, uh, pare it down to some, uh, you know, a handful because th- you're, you're not going to be able to finish your senior year with all these people coming in. So I broke it down to Michigan, Michigan State, uh, University of Detroit, and Toledo. Toledo because John Brisker, who uh, uh, played with me, uh, he was a high school All-American before I was, and uh, he was down at Toledo, and I would uh, go to the games when they came up to play University of Detroit, and I visited down there, and I really felt the connection with those guys, and Brisker and I were very close. but then, just the the prestige of Michigan, uh, man, I like the coach, Dave Strack, uh, and and just, you know, the example of Cassie and that team just had a big effect on me.
1: So, you almost were, were a Rocket your whole career, if you would went to Toledo, if I'm not mistaken, that, they were the Rockets, right?
2: That, that's exactly right.
0: <laughs> and...
2: Uh, I always wondered what does Rockets have to do with Toledo because uh, it didn't it didn't seem to fit. But the same thing with uh, San Diego. When I did become a Rocket, I just how does Rockets uh, fit with San Diego? Uh, and then we finally did go to a place where it made sense with Houston.
1: And and let me throw in another six degrees of separation. My high school was Broaderpool, and we were the Broderpool Rockets. So there's another six degrees of separation <laughs> insert. <laughs> so so uh, at that time when uh, uh, your basketball cribs up, were you nervous? So what? when did you finally sign? And tell us a little bit about the recruiting process, because it's so different back then than what it's like today.
2: Well, you know, I had to make – that decision. I really like Michigan State too. And I remember at Michigan State, I was staying in the dormitory and we watched one of the greatest, I thought it was a fantastic uh, game. It was a historic game. It, w- it was uh, Texas Western against Kentucky. And I remember watching that in the dorm with, uh, with guys from Michigan State. You know, so on my overnight stay there, I uh, I watched that game, and and I I really liked that. It was a tough decision uh, there, and I had my coach really wanted me. High school coach wanted me to go to Michigan, and uh, you know, and I never regretted that. It's a fantastic school, and so you know, I don't remember the after i made that decision uh i think my coach made sure i got there and signed it so i didn't change my mind
1: so at your freshman year at michigan uh at that time were freshmen allowed to play varsity ball no
2: and uh we played three games i think we played uh we played Michigan State I think home and away and then one game down to Ohio State which uh, you know started that kind of rivalry you you just start getting that stuff like these are our enemies and uh, that game I remember we got pounded pretty good but uh, didn't like the Buckeyes at all Uh, and you know, we had the vars- uh, the freshman varsity game and that was uh, pretty cool to play against those guys and do well as a freshman because you just always wonder, you know, how it's going to translate. What I really loved about Michigan was uh, the floor. In the Big Ten, most of the floors at that time were portable elevated floors that they just put in field houses and this floor was so good on the legs it had give to it and I was a jumper back then and I felt I could touch the top of the backboard uh it was just it was just a joy and the way it looked and the way they lit it it was like you're in heaven you know and uh I remember uh, we, could dunk, we could dunk the ball, I believe we could dunk the ball as freshmen, but as sophomores, I can't remember exactly when that was, uh, but, you know, I felt that I'm going to be able to really get up there and slam some through, and then they take the dunk out. It, it wasn't because of me, though, it was because of
1: Will syndrome. Yeah. I, <laughs> Did you feel that that freshman year, did you feel like you, you got a lot of experience under your belt, or do you, do you wish that they would have allowed freshmen to, pl- freshmen to play at that time?
2: Oh, absolutely wish that we could play. And uh, once in a while, they would bring me up from practice and play with the Bar varsity, uh, which was always a joy uh, to test yourself. But, yeah, it, it, uh, as far as the experience, it would have been, you know, if you get to play. If you get to play uh, as a freshman, it's going to... But, you know, just being around there in the game and, and getting into the game plan and and all those things, it's going to help when when you're
1: with the big team. Did you wear number 45 in high school also?
2: I wore... This is funny. <laughs> so, John Brisker... He sort of said, We should all, the starters, uh, should all wear. Uh, I think one uniform was an uh, even number, and the other uniform might have been. I don't think we had the same number or something. It was weird, something like that. Anyway, uh, they, they went, you know, uh, 50, 40, 30, 20, and the. Uh, and I just joined the team, so I wore the ten my junior year, but the ten was for guard. you know that's usually how it was and I had a small i had one of the smallest uniforms, and my long legs were sticking out i mean they were short shorts back then, but this was like extra,
0: uh
2: and then then, when I was a senior, I went to uh I believe I went to 50 or something. And then in in college, I went to uh, 45. For some reason, that just, when I saw that number, it sort of described what I thought the kind of player I was, you know, in between, I wasn't in between a, a center, but maybe in college, I was in between a center and a power forward Uh but in the pros, it was just the opposite. I was uh, in between a four and a three, uh, a, a big forward and a small forward. But that sort of symbolized, it in my mind, that number.
1: You yeah. know, the uniforms have probably changed more than the actual game of basketball has.
2: Uh, well, yeah, the way they look, and, you know, some of them... <laughs> One of them we had uh, at the Houston Rockets, and we had a big turnover in staff in the office. And one day, uh, a lady came in and showed me this. uh, We had won the championships, and she showed me this design that had these lines on it and had a funny-looking, like a cartoon-looking rocket And uh, all these different things, and she says, "What do you think about?" I said, "It looks like maybe it was first, second, and third place on a junior high contest (laughs) to do a." And she says, "Well, no, that's our uniform." I says, "You can't. You got to be kidding."
0: It's just no. We
2: spent it in, and I don't know if you guys remember, but Charles was with us. one of those years when you sh- saw those blue uniforms with those stripes on them. That's supposed to be, I guess, jet, the jet, uh,
1: stream behind the rocket. <laughs> it
2: was just very embarrassing.
1: <laughs> do you remember, do you remember your feeling of, and do you still remember today of, uh, uh and your first game as a Wolverine?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, first game as a Wolverine was against Kentucky, and uh, they blew us out. I was so excited and so pumped up that I shot a shot from the free throw line that I got the rebound on, <laughs> and, and uh, it didn't hit the rim. It just, I just swung <laughs> it up so hard and it came back to me but in that game I wound up setting a record for uh, for Chrysler Arena in my first game with 27 rebounds uh, and uh, the next day I wound up uh, I did block a whole bunch of shots. Somebody said it was 13 uh, shots, but they didn't keep it on a stat sheet. Uh, but I, ju- I was jumping so much that I strained the arches in both of my feet. And the next game was in uh, at University of Detroit. And uh, I didn't think I was going to play because I couldn't put any pressure on my... Uh, one foot was worse than the other. And as I was there, my coach came over to see me, and I told him i didn't think I was going to play it he said, "You know wh- look at this door and all the people from Hammp were coming in and he says you got you gotta go out there and try for them so I went in and, and foolishly took a took a shot in my foot and went out and played and what was very interesting as far as being a i wasn't a type player who analyzed my game at that time. I just played hard and uh, maybe not always smart at that young age, but I couldn't jump high on my jump shot uh, because of that foot. And uh, what happened is I just started shooting the ball so good from the outside because I wasn't wasting energy uh, you know trying to jump over somebody in fact you shouldn't take an outside shot uh, or you have to jump over somebody you should pee open you know and I I think I made 30 points in that game mostly on outside shots and I learned something you know to, to don't you know don't use your energy to do that it's just hard to make shots when you jump so high so uh, learn something out of that you know out of that experience
1: w- was it easy to assimilate in into the Michigan program? did you guys i mean was it was it kind of hard? were you homesick did you did you feel like you'd made the right choice?
2: Well, you know, I was pretty uh, my family didn't have a car. We didn't have a telephone until I think my junior year because I told yeah, my father said, What do we need a telephone for? If you want to talk to somebody, go over there and <laughs> knock on your door and, you know. And uh we were pretty backward and uh you know, so it was a forty two miles whatever it is to Ann Arbor was a big jump culturally, but one of the best things that ever happened to me, I met, you know, people from different parts of so the city and the country and, uh, you know, it was a great uh, learning and growing experience for me, but yeah, at times, you know, I felt uh, out of place and, and uh, it was a, <coughs> you know, a different kind of era, the 60s, <coughs> you know, there were the, uh, the hippies and the different kind of stuff, trying to figure out where I fit in.
1: Besides Chrysler Arena, what were some of your favorite places that you guys would travel to and play? Or or, or that you felt like, you know, you know, you, you may have disliked playing there, but you felt like you had you, you played well at those particular places.
2: Well, you know, lucky for me and, and for my uh future career, I think I think in my junior year we had the number one toughest schedule in the country. I think somebody uh did that sh- uh, scouting uh what was it, sporting news or somebody uh somebody uh, uh those those are my uh that's my security system. My dogs are here.
0: Uh, <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think we were number one toughest schedule junior year and number two the uh, senior year. So we played a lot of good teams. We played like Duke, Kentucky, Davidson, Notre Dame. uh, uh, Utah was a pretty good team. Mike Newland, who would become a teacher, teammate, was on that team. Uh, You know, I just loved. You know, a basketball court was just such a cool place for me. I just loved looking at the different arenas and, you know, the the, uh, rectangular uh, glass backboard had just come in. You know, in high school, we played on the half moon. I think my senior year, they brought in uh, the, uh, the big backboard, but... You know, I just love the setting of any gym and, you know, sort of the history of the players that were there and uh, got a a big joy out of trying to do something that would quiet the crowd. We, You know, we used to call it, uh, I would shoot like a 20-foot bank shot and my teammates would call it the cloud silencer because they would think like, oh, that's off, and it it just sank in. (laughs) Oh, it would be quiet.
1: Uh, Do you have, uh, I want to talk about, of course, uh, uh, you guys playing Purdue, but uh, any memories from uh, playing at Indiana University in Bloomington or Butler in Indianapolis?
2: Yeah, I remember Butler uh, and the coach. uh, What was the coach's uh, name, the legend? Tony Hinkle. Yes. Uh, just remember, I, I believe he was coaching back then, or I had heard of him back then. Uh, uh, down in Butler, and then of course P- uh, Purdue was just a big event, and they had the new, McElena. they had the new arena. That was kind of weird lighted it just looked different whenever you saw uh you know some highlights from there and rick mount was truly a phenomenon we snuck in to their practice just to watch him warm up and shoot shots and he didn't disappoint this guy you know i, I was just always hoping that uh he would have a great uh, pro career, uh, you know, just a great, great college player, and what a shooter, uh, working without the ball, and uh, getting his feet set, and then the rotation on his shot was just perfect.
1: You know, uh, speaking of Rick Mount, I, I want to read a conversation that I had with um um, I've interviewed Rick Mountain and know Rick Mount, but I went back and forth with his uh, grandson, Jordan. And I, I just want to read this and uh, you may get a kick out of this. I said, Jordan, does Rick remember his matchup with Rudy Tomjanovich? If so, does he have any remarks or memories of that game or games? He said, yes, he does. I'll ask him real quick. I know Rick gave him quite a few points, lol, but Rudy gave Rick quite a few, too. Uh, Rick gave him fifty-three but said he was the best forward in the Big Ten by far at six seven. He played like a guard, could dribble and shoot, was ahead of his years. Good off the dribble game, was very tough to stop.
2: Well, he overrated my dribbling. <laughs> <laughs> I found would... <I laughs> it once or twice and then I'd have to put a fork <laughs> in it and
1: grab it and shoot it. <laughs> Um, uh, Coach when when you were at Michigan did you have I mean did, I mean did you I mean you, you, I'm, I'm interviewing you you can you can tell me this I mean did you fantasize about playing Pro ball and you know and when it came about and it was that time and you're drafted second overall did it did, were, you, were did you did you take it in did you kind of uh, I mean what was what was your thinking like or did you, did you just kind of this whatever happens happens?
2: Well, let me just say this. I told you about that playground that I played on. Uh, I got to play against pro players on that playground. Uh, some players would come in, uh, college All-Americans, uh, Mel Daniels came in there. Uh, there was a young guy who didn't go to college uh, who was kind of legendary in Detroit, Reggie Harding who uh, was a little bit of a gangster, didn't have a long career, actually went to prison, but I got to play against him, he was a seven-footer, and uh, the competition that I played with on the uh, playground uh, was a good barometer where I felt I had a chance. Uh, I also, yeah, I played against some of the Pistons while I was uh, you know still in, in high school uh, and, and that sort of gave me a clue to that I could fit in there now what happened in the draft was very interesting uh, A agent approached me and, and took me to a Piston game and uh, in our conversation So he was a little bit too fast of a talker to make me feel secure but what he told me is that there was a good chance there was going to be a merger and if I didn't sign soon all the uh, leverage would be gone and so he said you can you can sign right now with the NBA or the ABA before the draft. Uh, It says the ABA has already drafted you, but you could go to the NBA and see uh, what you could negotiate with them before the draft. Well, I didn't trust the guy, so uh, the coach at Michigan then was Johnny Orr. Johnny Orr got me talk to some lawyers and they figured out uh what was going on and they said you know you could get to know us and and uh you know we're we're not agents and all that but you know if you trust us we will go and negotiate this contract for you and we did and uh, i went to uh madison square garden towers the big building that's attached to the garden and talked to one of the founders of the nba eddie gottlieb who was just a wonderful jolly man Uh, and i don't even know what he what position he held in the nba but god he was just classy and we uh we uh heard what they would offer and then we went to the ABA and uh the ABA we we drove to a uh brownstone uh <laughs> apartment that was in a pretty good neighborhood uh but it was the meeting was like in the basement of this this apartment and The team that had drafted me, the Utah Stars at that time, and their general manager were there, and uh, they had a financial wizard. I think his name was uh, Dalgor or something like that. And he had this plan where he could give these big contracts to players, and I think Rick Mount had signed one of those, and some other players had, had already signed and in the paper you heard you know million dollar contract signed uh, so they tell me uh, we love Rudy uh, we'd like to give him the big contract and in my mind is you know God I really wanted to be in the NBA but these guys are talking about millions and they were the NBA was talking about a hundred thousand. So my new attorneys that I had just met said, nah we don't want the million. Just give us the hundred thousand a year, you know. And I'm like, oh my God, is this a bad dream? What's going on here? And then when we get outside they explain that it was just an annuity, like an insurance policy that would be paid off in twenty years and and the people who owed the money might not even be around, so you don't know what's gonna happen with your money. Uh, so the next day, no, at the end of that meeting, when we said, no, we don't want it. And, and they sort of told me, good, we didn't want them anyway. So I was on an emotional roller coaster for being a millionaire and being wanted to not even want it. So uh, that was kind of crazy. And uh, so I signed with the NBA and you have to remember the, the uh, way it was back then, they didn't have a salary cap. So a rookie could come in, and usually did come in, and make more money than the veterans. So, And there were holdouts. There were players who would hold out and really screw up their first couple of years because they'll miss that first training cap holding out. So being signed already was a big bonus for a team knowing that hey all we got to do is draft them, and he's ours. we don't have to go through all that uh stuff on all the the different uh agents and the you know they're going to Europe or wherever they're gonna go, and that's how I got drafted second. I don't think I would have been drafted second uh if I wasn't already signed uh but you know some really. Good players got drafted after me uh but there was always a chance that they might hold out you know, so anyway, I was just happy to be with the n b a and uh and went all the way down to uh San Diego, California, which was a big contrast to you know going up in Detroit.
1: You know, we we all make a lot of good and bad decisions in life. That was one of the good decisions that you made to go with the NBA, wasn't it?
2: Oh, it was, and and especially though that lawyer. That lawyer stayed with me all through my years, and uh, it reflected uh, on me when I dealt uh, with a team or with a you know with a, a endorsement. When they saw what a classy guy I had who believed in a win win situation, not always trying to, you know, stick somebody up, uh, I think it reflected on me too. Uh, and I, I'm ver- very grateful for that.
1: During your NBA career, what, uh, and playing career, what, what, you know before gaming you see all these kids now with their headphones and the arena has got all this music rocking and all this kind of stuff. What what pumped up Rudy T when a, a basketball game began in the NBA?
2: Well you're absolutely right. It's crazy. You know when we came in there were no cheerleaders, no dancing girls. There was I don't think there was much music. I think you could talk your friend that timeouts you know now if there's like five seconds left on uh choreographed you know somebody's getting fired there are five seconds of silence out there <laughs> you know just keep it jumping uh you know what i would do is uh you know i would shoot in our shoot around i would put a uh I had to make 10 baskets in a row before I left. And that could be very tough to do. I mean, <laughs> at times it was, but you could make seven in a row, you could make and then miss and then make five in a row. And what it did is it you set your standards so high that even though you're sort of failing there, you're – you know, you're conditioning yourself to be a very high-percentage shooter. And uh, I really tried to concentrate on that. And uh, I always felt I was ready to go, you know, after doing things like that. And then, you know, getting the rest, I I was lucky I could fall asleep on planes. And, and you know, the it's no, nothing like what the players have now, you know with the charters and the uh you leave after the game so you go to the next city after a game which i was always so fired up after a game or disappointed it was hard to sleep so you could at least if you got a back-to-back the next day uh you fly out after the game and then get uninterrupted sleep in the old days you have to take the first you know the first uh white so uh, you got a couple more chances in case something gets canceled and it was tough it was really tough we were dead a lot of times on back-to-backs and you know four games and five nights things like that so that really helped the league I think and now they have even made it better they don't have as many back-to-backs
1: when did you pick up playing the guitar and do you still play today?
2: Uh, I am not a good guitar player. Uh, you know, I just strum a... That's one of my goals in my retirement to get better at it. In fact, I'm on my way... We're sort of in plans in here. I'm on my way to Florida to go uh, pick up my guitars and take them back to Austin. I've been ver- I was very blessed To be able to go to a wonderful uh, Hall of Fame uh, songwriters, uh, Texas Songwriters Hall of Fame and see uh, Billy Gibbons be inducted from ZZ Top and some really, really great songwriters, Uh, you know, so that's going to be my inspiration, who knows the next time you talk to me you might be talking about some uh, even though I'm not sort of a country guy, but my my writing would probably be something country. <laughs> my
1: my dad my dad my dad self taught him to uh, self to play the guitar, and I'll tell you what if you get better at your guitar, I can show you off my air guitar. I am world champion if you ask my wife.
0: Oh,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did uh, back in my drinking days. Uh, I would go to the back of the house with my guitar and uh, and try to write songs. And I wrote a calypso song uh, back and got. I had to be in my early thirties, or uh, this is year. This is forty years ago. <laughs> forty years ago, I wrote a. Uh, that was kind of humorous about a guy uh, always winding up with mean women and uh so i was passing the park and my daughter and a neighbor were on the swings and they were singing my song at the top of their lungs and i hadn't uh i hadn't broken it out to the public yet so they must have heard me through the door or something So anyway, I asked them where, I asked my daughter, where'd you get that song? She said, what do you mean? She says, where'd you hear that song? She says, the radio, I think. I said, no, that's my song. And she said, uh-uh. So just by osmosis or whatever, she got it in her head. And I thought that was pretty cool that the the, uh, hook in the song was enough for somebody to be Singing
1: it with the neighborhood kids, you know. Cool. Uh, this is a, this is a date. I'm going to throw it out a date to you because uh, you know we're, 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 most of my stuff is Indiana related, so I just want to get your opinion on it. Do you remember the first game of the 1979 se- 1980 season when Larry Bird made his debut? Did you have to guard him that game?
2: Uh I did. Larry Bird for a little bit
1: what did you Uh, think about what did you think about him at a young age
2: well I had watched him I thought he was fantastic Uh, I really did and uh, I remember one little play it's not a big play or anything but he released I think on one of my outside shots I saw a lot of outside shots so he he took off running uh, if I missed it or made it or whatever. And I think I missed this shot. So I had to really hustle to get back to try to catch him. And as I was running back, I'm watching him, and he goes like he's going to catch the pass. And I really started almost diving, you know, in front of him, and the pass wasn't even coming. He was just... (laughs) He was just faking me out that the pass was coming, and the guy was dribbling the ball up the court. But I reacted to, oh, man, here it comes. And uh, I said, that guy, he's got some smarts, or he likes to mess with people, you know.
1: Come to find out, he likes to mess with people, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and that was so long ago that Dick Vivetta was still uh, I w- I was uh, refereeing in that game oh really yeah <laughs> yeah so uh coach what was your what what was your hardest assignment during your n b a career uh, to guard and and what was your hardest assignment but given to you but but w- really wasn't that hard with no respect to the player
2: uh, well, let me just say this uh they're all hard uh and you know. We played, and, and this is this is how you get stung. Uh, I played against Chicago many. I think we used to be in the East, or they were in the West, whatever. But when I played Chicago, uh, when I played Bob Love, you know he would do okay, and I would do okay in those games. But but because Chicago. With Dick Mata as the coach, ran a lot of offense, and it took time that the scores would be lower. You know, you just wouldn't have as many possessions because he controlled the game. So I just made a mental note to myself one day. I said, "You know, I do a pretty good job on law. You know, uh, he just hasn't uh, he hasn't exploded or anything and That game he went for 44. So, so, you know, that's the danger. You can never take any guy, and he was an all-star player and a really good player, but you can never take any of these guys uh, for granted. You know, uh, Dr. J was a tough matchup, but I tried to play the percentages with him and back off because he had the uh, the big edge and – in uh, quickness but you know make him try to beat you from the outside uh, and take some jumpers Uh, you know I remember playing guys like Gus Johnson you just stay explosive you never want him to get a couple dribbles and go towards the basket because he would tear it down Uh, but you had different you know different uh, strategies Uh, you know I've had Games where the guys sort of admitted, "I just don't happen today, man." You know, because those schedules were were tough. They wore you down.
1: In during your career, also was there a couple times that you you remember where you know, wow, it, everything is going my way tonight. The 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 basket is like the ocean. I can just toss it in there.
2: Yeah, there was a lot of time. I was a streak shooter, and so that happened a lot. But, you know, what's interesting is I got my career high uh, the day after recovering from having the flu. And it was in Toronto. We played Buffalo. And, you know, I didn't feel great before the game, but everything worked that day. It was just like, uh, you know, I can't believe I got open that many times because I just didn't feel I had the energy. But what happens in a situation like that, the the, uh, built-in excuse or whatever sort of takes the pressure off of you. You're not expected to do great, and so you're not putting any pressure on yourself, and it just happens that then everything I threw up that day was going in. You know. Uh, it was interesting in college when I started shooting the bank shot, I had uh, Fred Snowden, the assistant coach uh for Johnny Orr, uh, was a teacher of this P E class, and uh and he just says, Why don't you Because I either made a long shot or I was right around the basket, but my mid-range shot, because I had a little bit of a flat uh, arc on my shot, he said, try banking it. Well, the uh, that week against Indiana in Chrysler Arena, I tied uh, I tied Cassie's scoring record shooting bank shots, and I was just Surprises with everybody. Uh, you know, it just, and I started looking for that 18, 15 to 18 foot shot on the angle and, you know, just put a lot of back spin out of the hit a spot and it would just deaden the ball and it would just go in and it, it was a good weapon for me for uh, many years.
1: When, when you're getting toward the end of your playing career, what is it, is it, is there? Is it a? Are the emotions a little depressing? Is it? Is it a decision that you make, knowing that you're going to do something else within the game of basketball? How hard was it for you to hang up the sneakers?
2: Well, you know, I got in the the uh, the punch situation happened, uh, and I recovered from that and uh, got back to playing and was very grateful that I was able to play. And then the next year, uh, I started out, and I got injured, I had a calf uh, injury, and it, this was just like something that would just keep pulling. I'd be okay, I'd have to sit out a week, I'd get it stretched, and, and run, and get it ready, and I'd go out again. That was very frustrating, but then the team, that's the, that's the year that Dale Harris was the coach, and uh, we wound up going to the finals with the big, uh, what they called the water buffalo team, with uh, Moses at the center or Billy Paul at center, Moses at power forward, and uh, and I was hoping to get back in and play, and those guys did a great job, but that was very frustrating at the end of my career to uh, not to to play much during those series. Didn't, you know, didn't like it at all. It was just too much of a, you know, from going from sort of an all-star player to all of a sudden not even being in the rotation, uh, even when I got healthy, uh, it was very tough. And then I had a situation at the end of my career where there was rumors I would be traded. Uh as a basketball player, that would have uh really the way I was and my pride as far as uh, they think I can't do it, that to to myself motivated uh, to you know have and I was in the process and I then watched my yeah, neighborhood with their friends and I think I need to move my family to go somewhere again and I decided the way things were, were structured in my contract that I could forfeit some money to have them still give me something and not even have to play. So that's sort of how I ended it. So it was a win-win. And, uh, but I didn't have any plans after uh, playing. Those things sort of just happened, you know. Uh, you know, I did not see myself as a coach. Uh, it, it wasn't something like, oh yeah, one day I'll be a coach. Uh, that was not a part of it, but then it was offered to be to be a scout, and I just took to it, and I did scouting of personnel. that I did I really loved uh, scouting the other teams and diagramming their plays, and then uh, bringing it back and give uh, the team with some uh, and we what the things. Why we were all the different—he had a lot of different ways. Uh, so that all those things sort of were pieces of the puzzle. That when that opportunity was given to me, uh, you know, I felt I was pretty well prepared.
1: You know, this is this—I I may be totally wrong about this statement, and uh, you tell me if I am. But I—I I, I guess for the two World NBA World Championships that the city of Houston has—is it. Is it likely, or is it a, a, a proper statement to say, just because Carol Dawson didn't want to get fired and, and made you take the job, is that the reason why we have those two championships? <laughs> oh, no. No, no, Carol.
2: Carol is, uh, he's my mentor. He uh, was the voice of reason. Uh, we're so different. I'm uh, I'm a little bit city. He's a little bit country. And, uh but he's my big brother and the fundamentals you know if i had to say the influences on my life uh carol is right at the top you know as far as forming a basketball philosophy really really uh just practical and how to get a player to do you know, and I'm just talking about how to shoot the ball, how to uh, the work he did on the jump hook, and and things like that with the, uh, players it was just fantastic.
1: You Could know, you've done
2: it without him.
1: You know, I I wasn't being disrespectful, but I, that's what I picture in my mind. I picture him going, "Look, Rudy, you got to take the coaching job, or someone else is going to come in, and you know, we're not going to be together anymore."
2: Well, that's exactly what he said. <laughs> he said, "If you don't take." If you don't take it, somebody. We had made it through a couple coaches already. We had made it through. Bill uh, left, and they kept us on. And then Bill Fitch left, and they kept us on. Uh, and then then there was Cheney, and he says, "Well, the next guy, they might not. They might bring their own assistant." So I says, "Okay," and uh, we went out and did
1: it. You know, you've you've been a you, you, oh. you you've been a lot of places, of course, and and Houston probably the longest. Uh, 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 compare the Houston fan base to the fan base of uh, other NBA teams. Is there is there is there one? Are we kind of unusual? Are, are we the best? Uh, well, Houston,
2: you know, I, I don't think it was ever disappointed in them. Uh, you know, I, I I think when you have people who, and Houston, you know, has had some success, I think when you get the big shots, guys who are doing pretty good uh, financially, they're not going to be as energetic to throw things out there. I think the you know the the more uh blue collar type things they need an outlet and uh you know some of the places I don't even know if that's true, but it just seems like uh you know when you get a more of a middle class uh fan base they're gonna be more than people are really making it. Because you got to really impress them on that, on those, uh, you know, I don't even know if there's any validity to that, but that's sort of how I felt. And at times, Houston was a booming economy at, to impress people. But overall, I I was never disappointed. In fact, when we came home, you know, during those runs, uh, I was working so much on the film, and, and once in a while, when the TV would go off and the news would come on, I would see people in the street that says, "What the hell's going on?"
0: <laughs> you know, is
2: there like a uprising somewhere? <laughs> no, that's, that's Richmond, that's Richmond Avenue in Houston. That's that's our people, and that's what they were doing after the games. I mean, traffic stopped, and they were just partying in the streets. I said, I had no idea. <laughs> and then when we came home from those road trips, and they were there at the airport, if that don't fire you up, man, uh, God Almighty, what a, what a feeling that was. And it just kept on going. I mean, there's thousands of people uh, staying up that late to just welcome us back.
1: You know, you you, you you said that you, you really were uh, kind of uncomfortable with the spotlight, and you know, and talking about the two back-to-back championships, and and how how people uh, uh, you know um, uh, loved that and got together about that. Uh, how did you learn to to be in the spotlight? Or you still not? Are you still haven't learned to do it?
2: Well, I tell you what. What I liked about that whole celebrity thing is that. If I could use it in a positive way, and, and I tried to do it down in Galveston, we had, uh, you know, we had a golf tournament and we raised money. And there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, scholarships for kids, you know, based on grades and things like that. But we try to do it based on their personal story. You know, like uh, somebody who's gone through a hardship and uh, to be able to send, you know, hundreds of kids to school and and a good percentage of these kids were the first one in the whole family to ever go to a college. Uh, to have celebrity help do that, it was worth it. The other, I just don't think it's healthy to... uh you know to be idolized or whatever made a fuss over uh you know when i was in la because there's so many people out there it was sort of a relief to be able to be anonymous and just go about your business you know uh i sort of like going now to events where i'm in the audience and i get to watch somebody else instead of always being a part of the show you know uh you know having to prepare a big speech and that really touches the people and and stuff like that is hard work those things just don't come off the top of your head and uh you know it's it's a joy to be able to enjoy other people doing it
1: you you know, speaking of, you know, making a, a speech or preparing for it, you know, the uh, non believers and believers and never underestimate the heart of a champion, was that something that just came out of you off the cuff or it's something that you'd been pondering on if you guys uh were gonna win?
2: Well, the the uh phrase heart of a champion came from Kevin Johnson. He's the guy who said that and uh and I don't know if he said it a couple times, but it, it it hit me because he just said it's these guys, you know, they had us down both years, and uh, he said they have the heart of a champion, and so that was just understood. And then it was, it, it, you know, we had people who doubted us, you know, and there were I had never heard other teams criticize trades openly that you have to play against they might do it you know privately but they criticized our trade of getting uh Clyde and uh you know that's sort of the non-believer part and even Charles uh part of it was, was that Charles because he said you guys are going to be the only team that won a championship and don't even make the playoffs the next year. So, yeah, those were the, that's what that, and uh, a lot of people think it was just a statement that said, oh, never underestimate the heart of a champion. It is, don't ever
1: underestimate the heart of a champion. You know I I do a lo- I do a lot of research and and a lot of uh uh yearbooks. I mean, I'm talking a lot of yearbooks. A lot of people have that as a a lot of seniors going out of high school have that as their favorite quote or have that as their mantra for the uh uh for their, you know, what they're going to do after high school. So I found that very interesting. I didn't know if you knew that. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's very cool. A friend of mine told me that a golf team had that uh yeah, a golf team uh, had that in their locker room and they won a, it might have been Oklahoma or Oklahoma State or something, my friend told me about. But I had one of the most inspiring things happen uh, a couple months ago in Houston. A young lady came uh, to an autograph signing thing and on her, inside of her bicep, She had, don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion, and it was dedicated to her baby daughter who had a heart problem when she was a baby, and the baby is uh, alive and well as we speak, and it just touched me that she had it tattooed on the inside of her arm. Wow. Uh, You know, that's the kind of stuff that it's all worth it, if if what you do or what you say can go and help somebody else. That's that's when I like celebrities.
1: You know, I, I know I'm running you a little long, but I just have two more questions. My uh, first: What is the difference, or how do you feel different from winning a NBA World Championship, or heck, two back to back, or winning a gold medal for your company or, or your country?
2: Well. Uh, they're all great, great feelings uh euphoria or whatever. I mean, that's... But let me tell you something. When the NBA had not lost a... Uh, that had not lost a Olympic gold medal at that time, and you're the first team, and there's a minute to go you're down by one and you foul a three-point shooter, while he's shooting those things, things go through your mind. And what went through my mind is my funeral and people giving thoughts. He was a good friend. He was a, a, a great brother. You know, but that dummy lost in the Olympics. You know, the press. When your, whole, when your league and your country is depending on you and you don't do it, uh, that was unbelievable pressure. And at that time, I believe the pressure on the players was so big, they didn't talk about it and they could deny it. But I know that nobody wanted to be on the first team that lost in the – you know, didn't win a gold medal. Uh, you know, that's that's what it is, and and uh, so so when the final buzzer went off in the championship game, uh, my first reaction was a sigh of relief that oh my god we dodged the bullet you know, and, the, and the championship <laughs> game wasn't. But when I turned to uh, assistant coach Gene Cady, you know, a bulldog of a guy, a a tough guy, and I saw the emotion in his eyes. It hit me, man, you know, uh, that we made it. You know, it's hard to be in a situation where you're playing not to lose, you know, and, uh, you know, winning is just like we got to win. Uh, to get through that was just uh it was great great to do it but people don't understand the pressure you know that international teams are good you know they play together and they know each other and, and they've been through it uh you know and we just get our guys together and and uh but, but a, what a wonderful all of that stuff! I just thank God that I was able to be a part of it, and I'm humbled that it turned out that way. You know,
1: Coach what what does what does Coach Rudy T do in retirement? Do you still enjoy watching basketball? Are you are you glad you're out of it? Do you miss it, do, or do you enjoy being with your grandkids and your children? All
2: of the above, uh, <laughs> really. Uh, really working on the golf game, uh, practice more than I play trying to figure this, uh, this thing out, <clears throat> screwing around with, you know, the instruments, uh, uh, little bit of guitar, a little bit of harmonica, uh, but very, uh, you know, definitely beginner, you know, 30 years of being a beginner at these things, uh, And, uh, you know, trying to live a happy, healthy life, Uh, you know, seeing, you know, just the little things, Uh, appreciating the little things in life. And I'm in a place now in Austin, Texas, where the people are so doggone friendly and, and it has nothing to do with Rudy T. This is just the way they are. They don't know who I am and uh just enjoying a you know a good uh good community. Uh and you know I still believe it or not, I still uh diagram plays. I've got a couple uh of my assistants that are are playing and we'll talk and I'll say, you know, look at this thing. I think this could help your team and uh I don't think I'll ever give that up. That's that's what I loved about coaching the, the most is I didn't have a system. The system is the players. You find uh, patterns and sides of the floor or areas of the floor where those guys can excel and then you try to create that and to me that's the fun part of of coaching, you know, uh, trying to put them in an environment where it's good for different kind of players Uh so I'm getting excited right
1: now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Coach, so I'm just a happy, blessed guy. Awesome. Hey, well, thank you. I know I ran a little bit long. Uh, I, I hope I, I hope I brought the right questions to the table. I enjoyed your answers. I, uh, it's fantastic. I, uh, I, I feel very. Um, I, I don't. I can't find the word, but thankful that you uh, uh, spent some time with us, and uh, uh, I really appreciate. It and thanks that people will enjoy it. Billy,
2: I had a heck of a time too, and after this long interview, I feel like I'm. I have something in common with you, like we might be brothers.
0: <laughs> if you know what I mean. Chris, <laughs> thank you again. <laughs> okay, Billy.